Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 8. The book of 1 Kings in chapter number 8. When people think of King Solomon, they think of him being the wisest man who ever lived. And then shortly after that, they often fall into the idea of Solomon and his fall. But between the time of his wisdom and way before his fall, there was a lot that went good with Solomon's life. In fact, if you looked at Solomon's life as an overarching um, diorama and look at all the scripture that's dedicated to Solomon, very few of it is dedicated to his fall, to his mess up. Most of it is dedicated to him seeking after God and him putting God first. And it is that part of his life that we need to take a look at. Now, we've already taken some time on Sunday to examine the importance of the tabernacle and the temple, to see the emphasis that God is placing. We looked at the three temples we saw as uh, Solomon had put this together and is preparing the temple. And a lot of emphasis has been placed on it. And we're going to continue this emphasis in the next several messages dealing with the idea that Solomon was seeking after God and God responded. Now, it's one thing to have something that got uh, someone sought after God and did a build big, big building project, did these great things and period. But with Solomon, God responded. God appeared to him. God manifested himself. And so because there was something about God showing himself real, we should have some sort of desire in our own lives to have God manifest, to have God present within our own life. And so thus the study of Solomon in the temple becomes very important to us because we should desire God's presence in our life. So what was it that went right with Solomon? What was it that he put together correctly? And how can we apply that to our lives today that we can also have God's presence within our own lives. So turn with me if you don't mind and we come to the dedication of the temple. Remember Solomon put it together. It took three years to build it and then it took about 11 months to dedicate and prepare the temple. So Solomon's temple was prepared or finished 11 months. It's spent to dedicate it before they actually opened it up. So now we find ourselves to the book of first Kings chapter number eight, first Kings chapter eight. Notice with me in verse one, first Kings chapter eight and verse one. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all of the heads of the tribes, chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Solomon in under King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which is in the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves under the King Solomon in the feast of the month of Ithinim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came 
And the priest took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all of the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priest and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel were assembled unto him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord into his place, into the oracle of the house of and to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the ark of the or place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves at the end so uh, that the end of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle that they were not seen without. And there they are unto this day. And there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, which when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they had come out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in first Kings chapter eight, first Kings chapter eight, notice with me in verse 11, where it says the glory of the Lord filled the house, the glory of the Lord filled the house the house. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you today, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and give us great mercy, that you would open up your Bible in a special way, that we could see this historical event. We could see the things that Solomon did in his part to see this historical event. And that you would also teach us for ourselves how we can have your presence so manifested, so thick inside of our life that we could be filled with you. Lord, I'm asking that you would set things in order. You would glorify your own name and that you would help us to seek after you in such a way that we could find you. Lord, fill me with your presence now. Again, I'm very conscious of my limitations, my inabilities, my failings, my shortcomings, my weaknesses. I surrender them all to you and ask that you just use me however you see fit, that you would magnify your name before your people and that you would do a work in our midst because you love them. Open up your word. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, as the temple has been completed, a time has been given to dedicate the entire temple of the Lord to God but one piece still remained. There was one thing that the temple currently did not have, but desperately needed in order to be complete. This was going to be the Ark of the Covenant. Having the temple without the Ark of the Covenant was like having a body without a soul, having a candlestick without a candle, or to speak more properly, a house without an inhabitant. Remember the idea, the whole purpose of the tabernacle and temple was to show the presence of God among his people. But the piece of furniture that really represented the presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant. And so they have the temple dedicated to God 
and yet have no ark there was to have an empty building without the presence of God. It looks good. Everything was done right. Everything is in its place. Everything is set up. But what good is it if God is not there? You know, there's a lot of times that people will live their lives. They will clean up their attitude, clean up their speech, clean up their, their personality, clean up their, their dress, their appearance. They'll try to say the right things. They'll do the right things and still not have God's presence upon their life. And so, whereas the building may look good, it's not carrying out its purpose if God is not there. And so we see this here. The temple is dedicated, but it is not quite finished yet. The building has now been dedicated. We saw that in the last chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 7 and verse 51. We see, so the work was ended that the king Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated. Even the silver and the gold and the vessels did he put among the treasures of the house of the Lord. Everything is in there, but one thing is missing. And that is the Ark of the Covenant. This therefore is the end which the crown which must crown the work. And this is to bring in this Ark of the Covenant. The very first thing I'd like to kind of bring to you is the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. The importance of the Ark of the Covenant. For the Hebrew people, the Ark of the Covenant was the physical representation of God's presence among his people. This ark had always been this representation. God is with me. How do I know God's with me? Because we have this ark. Now we know that God did not live in the ark. But to have something for the people there, it was very important that they can know that God was there with us. God always wants to be among his people. God doesn't want to be far away. He doesn't want to be distant. God wants to be right in the middle of his people. The ark was made of Achaia wood and was overlaid with gold, both inside and out with a gold crown or molding set about the edge of the top. It had four golden rings, one on each leg, which were placed for the purpose of putting the carrying uh, poles through so they could actually carry it. The poles themselves were made up of Achaia wood overlaid with gold. And then on top of that, you had the mercy seat that was placed on, part, on top of it. We'll cover about more about that in just a bit. The measurements of the ark, if you're interested in such thing, it was 2.5 cubits long, which would be about 45 inches. Um, it would be one and a half cubits wide, which would be about 27 inches. Uh, one and a half cubits high, which once again, 27 inches. So this ark here was something that was very important. It was made during Moses' time. And now these hundreds of years later, 800 and, or 480, if you remember, we mentioned this later, it is now being placed inside of the t temple, which was now going to be the permanent place, the permanent home for this ark. Now, as we get back to the text, we see the service to bring up the Ark of the Covenant. The service to bring up the Ark of the Covenant. Notice with me in verse number one, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all of the heads of the tribe and chief of the fathers of children of Israel and to King Solomon in Jerusalem. Why? 
that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. So Solomon made sure this was going to be a big affair. He wanted everyone to witness the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, to be placed into this permanent dwelling that has been set there. So the people would know God's presence was supposed to be there among the people. Now, notice if you don't mind, we could see a little bit of a location. As I had mentioned before, Jerusalem's built on a series of hills. The temple was built on class. What hill? The temple was? Mount Moriah. Zion is another hill inside of Jerusalem. It is also specifically called the city of David. And this is where the ark had dwelt for quite a while. And so there's about a half a mile distance between the place where the ark was kept to where the temple was. However, half a mile is half a mile. And they brought the people out to witness this journey. It may not have been a, a big deal for some other people, But for Solomon to have the people come out, he was trying to place an emphasis. God's presence needs to dwell among us. Notice with me in verse 2. And all the people of the men of Israel assembled themselves together to the king Solomon, which is the feast of the month of Ithium, which is the seventh month. So now we have the seventh month. This is going to be our equivalent to our October. And so now he has put this in the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is going to be the time where they're going to dedicate this building. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a time, uh, was a feast that was put together back in the Levitical days, uh, the time of the wilderness wanderings, to remember that God had wanted to dwell with them and God wanted to have this presence here. So this is kind of why Solomon had pulled it off. Let's go ahead and put here on this special feast day so that way we can have God's presence be brought in on this special day where we honor and think about God's presence dwelling with us. Let's make this a big deal. And so they put it together. Verse number three, and all the elders of Israel came and notice this, verse three, the priest took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all of the holy vessels that were in the, the, the tabernacle, even though this priest and Levites did bring up. Now, why am I putting a big deal here? Because you right, might remember the mistake that David made. David in his own zeal wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And so David thinking, well, let's do things. Uh, let's, let's try to make things easier. We're going to travel for a while. And so let's get brand new wagons. Let's put these wagons that had never been hauled anything else. And we're going to let them haul the Ark. Uh, Ark of the Covenant. And so let's make this big deal. So let's put the Ark of the Covenant here and let's bring them through. And then you might remember that the wagon shifted and got hit. And so Uzziah, trying to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling off, put his hand upon it and he died. You say, why is this such a big deal? Why did God kill him? The reason why is because David did not do it the way that God said to do it. All the way back, God had set aside priests, certain priests, they had to be Kohathites, and their job was to hand 
carry the Ark of the Covenant. They were specifically told you could not have wagons to carry it. That the Kohathites were supposed to carry it by hand. Now the Levites were separated into three different families. Two of the three families were given wagons to haul and carry all the supplies of God. But the Kohathites were told not to carry any wagons. They were to hand carry it themselves wherever they went. Now someone say, well that's not fair and that's not right. That's typically how humans look at things. However, you look at things from God's perspective, the Kohathites had the privilege to bear God's presence among them with their own strength. They had to do it themselves. No wagons, but they had the privilege of carrying God's precious furniture, the things that were found inside of the tabernacle to go along with them. Now, David tried to do things his own way. And that was not acceptable. Solomon learned his lesson and he made sure that it was done correctly. That the priest carried it. The right people did it. And they did it the right way. That if we're going to have God's presence and God is going to be honored, we have to do things God's way. We can't do it the way we want it to be done. It has to be done God's way. So they carried on. Notice something else. Verse 4. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation. Remember, this is going to be that temporary dwelling place. This is going to be the tabernacle that had been set with them during the 40 years of the wilderness wandering. Has been used as the temporary meeting place of God. What they're going to do is they're going to fold this up. They're going to carry it. This is the last time it's ever going to be mentioned. And they're going to put it inside of one of the storage places inside of the temple itself. Presumably when Nebuchadnezzar took, uh, destroyed Jerusalem, he also destroyed the remnants of this tabernacle. But they took this uh, temporary dwelling place and they put it in the permanent dwelling place and said, we're not going to need this ever again. God has a permanent home. He doesn't have to move anymore. Verse 5. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be numbered, nor be, uh, could not be numbered for the multitude. So here they're doing as much as they could to do things God's way. Solomon learned his lesson. They transferred it. Solomon uh, sacrificed many animals for the purpose of honoring the Lord. It was to recognize that the people were sinners before God. And as uh, God's presence was going to go before them, they were to have the conscious idea that my sins required a sacrifice, but it's God and God alone that, that can save me. It is God and God alone that I can't approach God on my own because of my sin that a sacrifice has to be made in order for me to go to the presence of God. Which now brings us to another thing here. The placing of the Ark of the Covenant. The placing of the Ark of the Covenant. Verse number 6. And the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord unto his place and into the oracle of the house to the most holy place even under the wings of the cherubims. So here they go. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into its spot. Remember that the temple and the tabernacle had two major divisions within the place that was used to worship the Lord. We know that 
Solomon had built many rooms on the sides. But the two major rooms is that you would have the holy place. This is where the golden candlestick and the table of showbread and the altar of incense was. Then there would have a huge veil. For this time they had moved the veil aside so they could bring the Ark of the Covenant in into this other place, the most holy place. Now the interesting thing about the most holy place is that it didn't have windows. It's going to come up a little bit later and maybe another message or so because Solomon is going to make a big deal that God dwells in darkness. They had no windows, had uh, presence there. By the way, there's no windows inside of our heart either. He dwells inside the dark place, inside of us. We're going to see something more about that here in just a second. So they placed the Ark of the Covenant. Then they moved the staves. An interesting thing about the way that they moved those staves is that because of the veil, you could not see the Ark of the Covenant. But there was enough of a gap between the veil that you could actually see the edges of the staves. So you knew it was there. That's all you could see from it. You couldn't see the Ark of the Covenant, but you could see the staves. Notice what it said, if you don't mind, in verse number... Uh, six. And the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to his place into the oracle of the house. We'll get to that in a second. To the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings to the place of the Ark. And the cherubims covered the Ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves and the end of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. And they were not seen without and they, there they are unto this day. So again, it was making a big deal that they moved the staves. So right at the edge of the veil, you could see not the Ark of the Covenant, but you could see that. You knew that the Ark of the Covenant was still at least there. Now, something else I want you to put attention to is notice what it said. It talked about the oracles. Notice again in verse six that the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord, to his place, into the oracle of the house. Once again, in verse eight, it says they were seen out of the holy place before the oracle. Other modern Bibles actually change this and call it to the innermost place. But the idea of the oracle is actually a correct word because according to the Bible, this holiest place was the place where God was going to speak to them. That's what the oracles mean. It carries the idea of a divine uh, answer. And so this was the place, the holy place, was the place that you were going to go seek after God. And when you sought after God, he was also going to speak to you and give you his answer. I'm thankful that we have a God who's not only present, but we have a God who wants to give us answers, who wants to give us guidance, who wants to tell us what we need to do. He give us the great direction, lead us to the next step. That's the God who wants to have. And when God is present, God could easily direct us and tell us what needs to happen. We have to have God's presence. With the idea of the placing the ark, we also see a big ideas placed on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is pictured here with the most holy place, even the wings of cherubims, verse 7. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof. These cherubims were 
uh, two angels that were made with their wings touching each other, one on each side. And this was often called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was made out of pure gold. It had a winged cherub on each side facing each other's. And this mercy seat was actually made out of one big piece of gold that was beaten and molded out of it. So it wasn't like little figurines placed on top of it. It was a big block of gold that was chiseled and shaped into these two angels facing each other. This mercy seat was placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. This mercy seat would happen is that once a year, the high priest would come and he would sprinkle blood of a sacrifice onto the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. God offered mercy to so that sinful people could approach him to the amazement of the angels, which was the reason why the angels was there, that they're amazed that God would have mercy to his people. The mercy of God is made evident, of course, through the blood of Jesus Christ, who saves all believers from their sins. Which brings me to another thing here. The presence of the Lord was with the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of the Lord was with the Ark of the Covenant. Notice with me in verse number nine. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses had put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Now the only thing that was in the ark itself was the two tables of stone. Uh, Aaron's rod was gone. The um, wafers of... um, of manna was gone. The jar of manna was gone. The only thing here was the, the two tables of stone, but this was the most important treasure. This was a treasure that far exceeded anything that David or Solomon could have dedicated the very word of God dwelling within them. Now notice what occurred here. Verse number 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of God. It's interesting that God has often pictured himself as a cloud. All throughout the Bible, you could see this cloud that represented God's presence when God was there. Whether it was the idea of the pillar of cloud leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. It could have been where the cloud appeared to Moses when he gave him the plans of the tabernacle. When God appeared in the middle of the camp. When God was angry with the people because of their murmuring and their complaining. Over and over you could see God showing up inside of a cloud. And so as the people had dedicated the temple, Solomon had did everything he could to do this right. They put the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And as the priests began to exit, all of a sudden, this black smoke, this thick cloud began to come out of that holy of holy place. The priest all exited out. And as they exited out, the presence of God represented by a physical cloud began to press through the entire temple and spread out. (coughs) Verse number 11. So that the priests themselves could not stand to minister for the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the God. We see a picture of this in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the presence of God filling the temple. And you know, whenever you have the presence of God, it's not where the people are standing. You know what happens when the presence of God gets there? You go to your face. 
and you realize I'm not worthy. It's not me. It's God. To have God's presence, to have it in thick, is, cannot be when we're standing. It forces us to realize we're coming to the end of ourselves. I am nothing. God is everything. All the attention is upon him. Now, can you imagine what wonders this would be? Now, we live in New Testament times. We don't have a temple that we go and visit. But as we had covered on Sunday night, we are the temple of the living God. And do you know that we can have God's presence thick in our life just as well? So much so that we could follow this same pattern that we see here to this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that the Bible talks about in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 that be not drunk with wine whereas in excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. We are to be filled with God's Spirit. It is a commandment. Now this is a time to wake up. This is a time to pay attention. This is the whole thing right here. God wants to be present in your life and not just present manifest present where it is him where it is to the end of us where he's in charge and we can learn how to have it first of all as we're examining this remember it took 11 months to dedicate this to God if we're going to be filled with a spirit we have to take his vessel and dedicate it completely to the Lord that's why so many people are not filled with God's spirit, by the way, is because we don't want to dedicate our temple to the Lord. What we want is we want this to be my temple and every once in a while, God help me out when I need it. And that's why we're not filled because we have not dedicated this temple to him. Hold your finger here. Let's look at several texts. Look with me, if you don't mind, the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 12. <coughs> the book of Romans, chapter 12. Being filled with God's Spirit is a commandment. But it is also worship. We trust God to be in charge. Solomon dedicated the temple and the presence of God was manifested and everybody knew it. We can have God's presence in our life. God could fill us. He could be in charge. But it starts off as Solomon gave the example of us dedicating the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is our bodies, to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice the qualifications. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice here, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Notice this. He didn't say living leftovers. He didn't say what you had remaining or what fragments or in part a living 
sacrifice. Do you know if something was going to be sacrificed as a burnt offering, are you getting anything back? It's going to die. In order to be filled with the spirit, we die to us. We give everything to God, nothing holding back. You don't leave the best parts to yourself. It's not a full sacrifice. You can't say, I'm going to give this, this um, uh, ram to God, but I'm going to keep the heart and the liver and the antlers to myself. And God can have the rest. You give it all to him. How do we give ourselves to him? Now, I understand it's easy to hear religious speak and not our head. What does it mean? I present to you there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What are our bodies? It's our five senses. Taste, touch, sight, hearing, smell. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. God I give you my sight and I dedicate that only the things that are pleasing to you will I look at. You understand that's one of the reasons why we're not filled with a spirit is because we won't give him our sight. We've got things we like to look at. It may not even be sinful, but we like to look at it and we don't want to give it up. And we don't want God to take it away from me. So I'm not going to give it to him because I don't want to give him the choice. What about our hearing? Lord, I'm only going to listen to the things that I know that will be pleasing to you. Well, you know what? That gets rid of a lot of things in our life because there's lots of things that may not be pleasing to him. It may not be sinful, but may not be pleasing to him. You understand we're going to a different standard. Well, I don't want to give up my Beatles music. I remember talking with someone several years ago. Hey, you know what? I don't mind church music and I'm good with that, but God better never take away my Elvis. You understand they're going to have some issues. You can understand it's all or none. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. You have to present to them your sight, your hearing. How about this? Your smell. You say, well, I don't have too much of a problem with that. Oh, yeah? <sighs> There's a lot of people who put things in their <coughs> smell that may not be pleasing to him. You're like, well, I'm not a smoker. Well, then you don't have to worry about it. But you understand, when there are some things that are not pleasing to the Lord that people smell all the time. All right? <coughs> Sight, sound, Hearing, sight, sound, hearing, smelling, good, tasting. I feel like I'm, I didn't hit one of those. Sight, sound, touch, smelling, hearing. <coughs> All right, good. The idea of tasting. Once again, there are maybe certain things you shouldn't put in your mouth. <laughs> You know, one of the biggest fights I have all the time pastoring in Wisconsin is alcohol. You're like, all right, fine. You're not going to get any friends here. Listen, the Bible says a whole lot about alcohol and liquor. And it is not a good thing. 
you say, well, it may not be sinful. That's one of the things I get all the time. Well, God doesn't say it's sinful. How about this? How about you ask him if it's going to be pleasing to him? Is it going to be pleasing to him? <clears throat> you understand vaping, drugs, there's all kinds of things. Is it pleasing to him? Is it going to be used for his glory, for his honor? Can it be used that I could say, Lord, I'm doing this to please you? The idea of feeling. There's a lot of things that we should not go physically. That we are a part of experience physically. That we need to be careful. Why aren't we filled with the spirit? Why don't we have God's presence put into us? Because we're not willing to do the first thing. Dedicate our temples to God. Dedicate to him. I understand this is not going to be the popular part. Because we don't want to die. We want the things we want. We don't want to dedicate this temple to God. Why? Because we're afraid what will happen if God's in charge of it. He may ask me to do something I don't want to do. He may send me where I don't want to go. He may tell me I can't participate in something I really want to participate in. You see, you can't hold back. It's either God's or it's not. It's not 50-50. God, you know, will have a share, shared custody thing, you know. You get my body on Saturdays. Yeah, how about just Sundays? And then I get custody the rest of the week. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to put something on the altar to be sacrificed, it is all his. All. Will you be willing to dedicate your temple to him? God, it is all yours. It is no longer mine. Whatever you want to do with it, you are allowed to do. So the very first thing we see here as we're witnessing what happened with Solomon is he dedicated this whole temple to God and for God's use however he sees it to be done. What's the second thing that we did, Saul? Well, he, we saw him bring in the Ark of the Covenant and he made sure that he did it correctly, not just like David did where David messed up. He learned his lesson that the only way to serve God and to honor God and to worship God is to do it God's way. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 5. The book of Acts chapter 5 talks quite a bit about being filled with the Spirit. And speaks about some of these things in part about being filled with God's Spirit. That they need to be clean vessels. That carries the idea of being dedicated to God. That if it's dedicated to God's use, it can't be used for anything else. Nothing like having a piano player who plays at the bars on Saturday nights and then tries to play hymns on Sunday mornings. She may play well, but God will not put his presence there. It's not dedicated for her. That skill needs to be dedicated to God and God alone. That skill, that thought, who we are has to be dedicated to God. The second thing, as we said, is that God's work must be done God's way. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 20 or 32. Acts 5, 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. So and so is also the Holy Ghost, 
whom God hath given to them, notice this, that obey him. You cannot be filled with God's presence if you will not obey him. Now, once again, it's 100%. If there's anything in your life where you told God you will not obey him, you cannot be filled with God's spirit. If there was something in the past where you say, listen, God, I know it's what the Bible said, but I, I just can't, I won't. You cannot be filled with God's spirit. You need to get that right. Why do some people can't be filled with God's spirit? Because they will not obey. There's something in their life they will not turn over to God. Maybe they won't give to God their boyfriend, their girlfriend. Maybe they won't give to God uh, raising kids correctly. They won't read their Bible. They won't, they, they will hold back. If there's anything that you refuse to obey, you cannot be filled with God's spirit. That's the whole purpose of being filled with God's spirit is you are yielded to God's control. You are surrendered. It is God controlling. If I had a glove here, that glove cannot change my tire. But if it is filled with something, now it could do the work. If I had a pen that I was trying to write something, if it was not yielded to me, I could not get the message across. It has to be yielded, completely yielded. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. If there is anything, I don't care how small it is, you cannot be filled with God's spirit. I'll never be a missionary. You can't be filled with God's spirit. I'll never witness to so-and-so. You'll never be filled with God's spirit. I'll never forgive so-and-so. You'll never be filled with God's spirit. I'll, I don't care if pastor asked me to do this. I'll never do this. You'll never be filled with God's spirit. You say you're giving a lot of absolutes. Absolutely correct. You understand we have in our world this idea of partial Christianity. And then we look in awe at Solomon's temple where God's presence came. We look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts and say, wow. And this is all available to us. Why don't we have it? Because we won't surrender our bodies as a living sacrifice. Give it completely to him. We refuse to be 100% obedient to anything he tells us to do. There are things in our life that we refuse to obey. And as long as there's something in your life you won't obey, you cannot be filled with God's spirit. You cannot have God's manifest presence within you. If there's something you're not willing to give up. Again, you have to be dedicated to God. You said, this is being hard now. I'm trying to help now. I understand very few people will be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a shame. But if one of you, this whole message is worth it. One of you say, you know what? I'm going to be serious about this. I want God's presence. I want God to do something with me. I want to have this. If one of you got serious about it, it is worth it all. I'd rather all of us but because I don't know who this is for, I'm giving it to everybody. What would it be like to have a church of people 100% set apart to God? You think God's presence in this place would do something? 
you think God's presence can be so thick in this place that people driving outside could feel something go, wow, there's something going on out there. Do you think that God's presence could be so present in this place that when people drive out to those bars, they'll climb out of their cars and fall to their knees and get right with God? Don't you think that can happen? It can absolutely happen because God's presence is a real thing. Why isn't it? Because we're not dedicating ourselves to the Lord. And there are things in our life that we refuse to be obedient to. You know, there's a third thing that was made manifest in here. When they brought the Ark of the Covenant and they put it there, God made a big deal of saying there was one thing in it. What was the one thing that was necessary for God's presence? The Word of God. The Word of God. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. Having the word of God be full in you. Not where you take a couple bites and you're good. When's the last time you were full of the word of God? And the next day filled yourself with the word of God. And the next day filled yourself with the word of God. I was talking with someone the other day. They were saying, yeah, I'm at this place and I don't have a Bible with me. Well, do you have enough Bible to still do a work memorized inside of you? You know, very few of you take your Bibles everywhere. You say, well, I got an app for that. Okay, well, that's cool. But very few Bibles, people take your Bibles anywhere. In fact, just the other day, I happened not to bring my Bible. And Max looked at me and said, where's your Bible? And we we're just going out to eat or something. Where's your Bible? I'm used to you always, good, that should be a used to thing. But even if you did have your Bible, do you have enough Bible in here that you can help people who need help? I mean, are you prepared to help people? You should be expecting to use God's word no matter where you go. If nothing else, this is the sword of the spirit. It's our only offensive weapon. Could you imagine any military person going out to dangerous territory and not bringing their weapons with them? How are they going to fight the fight? Can you imagine, unless you're Barney Fife, a police officer going around his beat, going when don't have any weapons with him? How is he going to carry out his duties? What's he going to do if an emergency hits? This is our weapon. Why aren't we winning a spiritual battle? Maybe it's because we're not even having our sword available. Remember, God uses his word, even through us. So the more the word of God that's in us, the more that God could do something in someone else's life, not because of you, not because of your merit, not because of your personality, but the word of God that's within you that comes out of you. The word of God. We can have God's presence. Look back with me, 1 Kings chapter 8. I want you to use your divine imagination. First Kings chapter eight, verse 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. 
for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. When God is in charge, when God is present, it changes everything. Let me tell you, the times of prayer that meant the most to me is after seeking after God that God showed up and I'm driven to my knees and I can't say a single thing because God's presence is so thick. You know what church services are the, the best? Not when everyone's waving the hanky and getting the lighter out, but when God's presence is so thick that we almost can't even say anything anymore. And that we're looking upon ourselves and saying, God, I just need you. And we walk out changed. That should be what we're seeing all the time. That should be what we're seeking. God said if we seek him, he would be found. Why isn't God being found? Could it be because we're not seeking? Do we show up to church expecting his presence? Or do we show up to church saying, well, it's that time of week and I just need to check this off of my schedule. And I'm not... We may just even think church is a good place. I get a nice little moral lesson. I get a shot in the arm. I get to go back in the world. It's great. But when's the last time you showed up to church saying, God, I'm expecting your presence. And if we don't have it, I would be disappointed. God, I've done everything I could expecting your presence. I'm as right with you as I possibly can. There's nothing in my life that I won't do for you. I'm willing to be obedient. Everything you've told me to do, I'm obedient. I'm physically alert. I've done what I could. I am anticipating you showing up. Do you think God would show up to our services a little bit more if we showed up with that idea? God's presence is a real thing, not an imaginary thing, not a mythology thing. It is something we can have in our services and in our lives. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And we can have it. Why don't we? We're not willing to dedicate this vessel, this temple to the Lord and to Him alone. We're not willing to be fully obedient we're all right to be partially obedient and do this and that. And we just won't fill ourselves with God's word. And the worst crime of all is that we won't seek and look for it. We won't anticipate it. Remember, Solomon spent 11 months. We talked about earlier how Solomon had dedicated himself for weeks, making all those sacrifices, seeking for God. And we're going to see more about it on Sunday morning and Sunday night as we continue with this thought that God wanted to be present and Solomon sought for him and God showed up and it made a difference. We're praying that these series of messages in Solomon's life would draw us to the place where we say, I want that. I'm tired of an empty Christian life. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of just checking off boxes. I want that. And we can. God said, seek after me. By the way, that's implied doing it his way. And he shall be found. Lord, I'm asking that you'd watch over us today. And I'm asking that you would do something deep in our hearts. That we would desire and crave your presence to be real, manifest, present in our lives. That we would seek after you. That we would desire to have you.
and that you could be found. Lord, I know that people in here, there are some people who are going to shrug off this message without a doubt. They may say it's nice, but it's not for me. Lord, those aren't the ones that I'm going for right now. Maybe there's one person here. Maybe it's a young person. Maybe it's an old person that says, I'm just tired of my Christian life. I'm tired of the nominal motions. Lord, help me to come to you. Maybe you just need to dedicate yourself, your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service just to give your life over. If there's anything in your life that you haven't given to and put on the altar, this is your chance, your ambitions, your goals, your dreams, your wants, your desires, your car, your house, your parents, your friends, your future husband. You dedicate it to God. Say, God, it's yours. Whatever you want to do, you do with it. Maybe it's the idea that you're Have something in your life where you won't be obedient on. There's some line that you refuse to cross. You refuse to do it God's way. This is a chance to get it right and say, Lord, help me to fix this. Maybe even be bold enough and brave enough to say, Lord, there's something in my life that I cannot give to you. Would you do it for me? Would you lay it down on my behalf? And maybe just something simply, you just haven't been digesting God's word. There's not a lot of God's word in you and therefore not a lot of spiritualness in you. Maybe you just need to dedicate yourself to start being in God's word faithfully and digesting it, not just getting a verse a day or a chapter a day, but getting full of God's word. Lord, I'm asking that you would draw people near, that we can have your presence here That even Sunday, there'd be something different. People who weren't here tonight say, what is different? And we could say, God is here. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.